From news across the world to events in your community, hear about it all on WKOK Sunrise on News Radio 1070 WKOK and WKOK.com. And thank you so much for joining us on WKOK Sunrise. I'm Mark Lawrence. Rob Sanders on the other side of the glass, taking great care of us, so we appreciate his help and hard work. He's why the podcasts work when you go to our podcast page or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. In the studio with us now, Professor Andrew Stuhl is back. I'm glad to say I've had a couple opportunities to interview him in the past couple of years and some opportunities uh, to work with him. And I, I guess on Agnes Revisited, I was working for you. Is that, would that be true? I think that's that's fair. Right, yeah. trying to help working out together. with the uh, uh, the uh, art piece that we saw last year and was uh, shared thousands of times over. He's an associate professor, the uh, associate professor, and currently the department chair in the Department of Environmental Studies and Sciences at Bucknell University. So thanks for coming back. Great to be here. Very much appreciated. And you brought one of the great students from Bucknell with you. Uh, Bethany Fitch is a rising senior comes from Maryland, and she's going to graduate at the end of this year. She happens to be a Bucknell University Presidential Fellow, which comes to folks who are academically and ambitiously <laughs> inclined and are interested in doing the extra work with that. Uh, she also happens to be a double major, theater and environmental studies. So we're going to try to uh, dig into that a little bit, too. But uh, she's here with us. So, Bethany, thanks for coming in. Very much appreciated. Of course. Thank you. Now, I'll start with uh, Professor Stuhl, uh, maybe three, four years ago, you might not have envisioned that Agnes would become such a big part of your teaching and your opportunities and your outreach and the work you're doing in the community. But the last thing you do is just stuff on campus. I mean, we've seen you all over Milton and Sunbury and here. Um, what was the genesis of this to get you started that Agnes would, would be a focus? Well, you know, my wife and I moved to this region nine years ago, and almost immediately we started hearing about this storm. And I think you can't live here very long without seeing Agnes around, hearing it from people. And as someone who wants to do research that's meaningful in the community, this just popped up as, you know, an opportunity. Why don't I listen to people more about this, dig in? The anniversary's coming up, the 50th anniversary's coming up. That was really the genesis. And the more and more people I talked to, the more I heard moving, powerful stories, personal accounts, and the legacy that they left, the people left, in the wake of the storm to build back and create the communities that we have today. I always call them a pivot point in people's life where you, you, your life has one trajectory and then, you know, boom, it takes, takes another turn. When people told you about that pivot point, maybe that's what sealed it, that you knew that you were looking at something that really changed the whole character of around here. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I mean, we have storms figuratively and literally in our lives that, that, that don't get names, that don't become before and after moments, but Agnes is not like that. You know, Agnes touched a lot of people's lives and transformed them. And some it was because of the devastating loss, you know, economic loss, property, their family home, heirlooms and memorabilia, souvenirs, you know, things that sentimental value that they can't get back. But for others, it was the opportunity it presented to step up and step out in their lives, become leaders, volunteer, uh, see an opportunity to, to become an emergency response official, you know, to help others, uh, to step into elected office, to go to the planning commission. This happened in communities all across our valley. And I think that's the story this week as we celebrate the 50th anniversary that we want to highlight is not only the devastating impact, but what happened after the flood where people saw, hey, it's our time to lead. 
Well, Bethany, the more he talks, the more I realize this is a, this is a match. Theater, which is, digs into people's characters and motivations and portraying them and bringing them back to life. And, of course, environmental studies, natural fit with when you talk about devastating flooding. So tell us about this, that uh, why this is a perfect fit for your interest and, and your studies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when I signed on to this project, I wasn't really ready for it to be so perfect. Um, I don't think I knew just how much it would connect with my theater major, so I really couldn't ask for a better project in that sense. But um, yeah, just being able to connect with people and use that, um, th those skills that I have with people um, to talk to them and learn about their lives and then also the environmental impact of the storm. Um, a little bit more of the science angle as well. Um, yeah, it's been an, a perfect marriage of those two things uh, and I feel really lucky to, to have that. Yeah, I think about whenever I watch somebody who's rehearsing something or they're given a part to play, they say, what's my motivation? Well, uh, you're studying people locally who aren't portraying anything, they're, they're themselves, but their motivation is to stay and survive and to stay close to family, and, and now to remember, to make sure we remember, that's their motivation. Absolutely. Um, I'm always just blown away with by how much people are eager to tell their stories, um, just walking around to Lewisburg, and if people learn that I'm you know part of this project, they just want to tell me their story. Um, so their motivation is definitely uh, to be heard, um, and I and I love to hear them. So, yeah. Yeah. What a privilege as a young person to learn this so early. It's Absolutely. Take, it's taken me until this moment to realize that <laughs> I look I look at my watch, but I think you're picking it up here now. Uh, go ahead and tell us about this double major. I, I think that's more than just an asterisk in our conversation. This idea that theater and environmental studies uh, can be met up. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really um, a really special combination and something that I think will be important for the future. Um, I'm a b big believer in art touching people in ways that science really can't or struggles to. So I think this idea of um, connecting people through storytelling to work towards a better future is, is something that um, will be a, a niche uh, subject in the future, but something that will be really important for people. How yeah. much do you love listening? <laughs> <laughs> Must be something to bring a great joy to to be covering this. And you said it was perfect. Is that the the adjective you used? Yes, I would say it is. <laughs> well, and you did a storytelling event along the way. Helped with one or you know, had a yeah. role in it. Explain your role and, and about that. Um, just in general, um, conducting interviews. Uh, that was a huge part of my time um, two years ago. Now that's a long time, but um, <laughs> over Zoom, it had to be because of the pandemic, of course, that was a big hitch in our plans, but it ended up being perfect because I was able to hear stories from people, not just locally, but people that were maybe living here, but now live in Atlanta or Seattle um, that we probably wouldn't have been able to talk to otherwise. Um, but yeah, we've done individual interviews, more broad storytelling um, groups. Um, all of them have been equally unique. So. Well, and storytelling's sort of gained a resurgence around here. We think of the work of uh, uh, Miss Hagenbuch. Her first name escapes me. Julie. Julie Thank Julie, you so yes. much. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah, the work that she's done. And before you two really started working on this, she was making sure that stories are told and brought up and recorded and, mm -hmm. and shared. And uh, I think when people bring up their stories, what happens when a person brings up their story and uh, sort of reminds themselves and kind of re-digs into 
to that? What happens? Yeah, that's a great way, great underline to put on it because sometimes we focus on the listener and they receive or they take that story, they get that story. It's another number for the total number of interviews you're trying to get. Um, and that's an important part of it is that the storyteller knows that you're listening, they're recording, documenting, preserving, and probably going to share that story. But for the, the teller themselves, it cements that item or that issue as something worth remembering. Right? I mean, if we're telling the story, we, we honor it and acknowledge it as something worth passing on. And I think even before we got to Agnes Revisited, the Zoom performance, or you know, the documentary that was aired in Lewisburg this past weekend, just the work that Bethany was doing, she, you know, she did more than 30 interviews with people around here. Um, those are 30 people who now know, yeah, that was a story I held on to, and I'm so glad I did. And those people, I think, they deserve a lot of credit for keeping the memory of Agnes alive. A lot of people asked us in this past couple weeks, why are we spending so much time focusing on this one storm? It's because a lot of people cared enough to keep it alive in memory. That's everyday conversation. That's the coffee table books that they kept out. That's you know, the stories they told at the office, at the workplace. It's something that people really wanted to remember, and it was the storytellers that helped with that. Well, I have to say, you both kind of saved us from something, and that's the idea that some of these human stories might not get recorded. I knew lots of them. I grew up around here. I was about 10 years old during Agnes, and um, I, I, I certainly remembered it all, but it wasn't written down or recorded, and you know, so I held it, and I lived in Sunbury, so devastating flooding didn't describe it. It was the perilous protection that was the big story there. But at the same time, now we have to give you credit for making sure that a lot of these stories got told and written down, and this question's for both of you, but uh, you can rightly enjoy credit for preserving some of these stories, too. Yeah, I think, like again, we like to share the credit. You know, people responded to our call for stories, right, so they had to step up and share them. Um, they told friends, hey, get in touch with Bethany and Andrew. Um, they thought that their stories should be on the record. So in Sunbury, we heard from the Zimmermans down there, their auto dealership right by Shemokin Creek. Uh, they have an incredible story of how they respond in times of flooding. And actually, funnily enough, like the advent of laptops has really helped them because they can just unplug their electronics and move it up to a higher level. We heard from uh, Donna Ross, who was in the Daily Adam this past weekend, sharing her story about scribbling, we love you wall on the mm -hmm. Sunbury wall. Yeah, she's um, finally outed. She's officially. <laughs> Long time rumored, but otherwise. But anyway. Go and John Moore, the Daily Item reporter who covered the storm, you know, blow by blow, and others in the town. I think, you know, you're, you're exactly right. Sunbury's economic total, the actual floodwaters, not as big as Milton or Lewisburg, Danville, of course, because of the wall. But that's a story to tell, too, you know, people's relationship with flood protection and the week-by-week um, -week work that people have to do to maintain that. We were giving a presentation in Susquehanna University, and someone came up to me after and said, you know, every month on my water bill in Sunbury, I noticed that little charge for maintaining the wall. Flood control. Yeah, yeah. and uh, now I'm thinking you know, how important that is uh, every time I pay it, you know? Right. We got to study and monitor the flood control uh, systems uh, rehabilitation probably a decade or so ago, and people like, what the heck is a flap gate, and why are there three <laughs> pumps underground and all this stuff? Right. But, uh, now, you know, it was very revealing to us as a radio station. We knew it worked, but we didn't always know how. The, the question... Yeah, um, I think we have this spreadsheet of healing, and that's because people keep reaching out to us. Um, and started the conversation, but um, 
peoples and families. They're really the the people that drove this that um, keep people interested in wanting to talk to us. Well, yeah, everybody from the age of 50 to 100 would, <laughs> around here, you know, half the people around here would remember that, you know, would remember what was happening. All right, well, we're going to keep talking about this when we come back at 740. We're going to talk about Agnes Revisited, which is uh, more of an art piece, but uh, just a, a great evocative uh, piece of music and voice. And uh, we'll talk about more of the research and the work that they're going to do and how this will be archived and where they're going this week or who they're talking to, how that will pop up. We see your names uh, in Milton and in Danville and in Sunbury and in the Daily Item and WVIA. And uh, uh, we talked earlier about WVIA. So, yeah, lots, lots of uh, folks, lots of media, certainly. Glad you guys are here. It's, it turned out to be a big help. Talking to Professor Stuhl from Bucknell University, Associate Professor and Department Chair of Environmental Studies and Sciences. And Bethany Fitch is here, Bucknell University presidential fellow and a senior at school. She's a theater and environmental studies major from um, Westminster, Maryland. News and interviews from across the world and right here in the central Susquehanna Valley. This is WKOK Sunrise on News Radio 1070 WKOK and WKOK.com. And thank you so much for joining us on WKOK Sunrise. Mark Lawrence here, Rob Center there on the other side of the glass, and our good guests are here too. And professor Andrew Stuhl is here from Bucknell University. He's an associate professor and is the department chair of environmental studies and sciences at Bucknell University. And Bethany Fitch is here, a graduate as well, a rising senior, they call him. Hey, they call them. <laughs> In case you weren't here, now you know who we're talking about. Bucknell University presidential fellow as well, and uh, theater and environmental studies senior, doing a double major there. So she stays uh, super duper busy. So she's one of the good folks really uh, putting in the work there and doing research and making things happen. Uh, you folks are going to be making the rounds this week, kind of appearing at a couple of places. Where are you going? I'll start with you, Professor. Yeah, this this evening, Tuesday, June 21st, 6 p.m., we'll be in Danville at the Thomas Beaver Free Public Library. We're giving a presentation, it's a new presentation on Agnes based on our research, the interviews we mentioned earlier, as well as looking at newspaper coverage over many years, a couple of visits to the State Archives in Harrisburg, uh, taking a look at different ways we can understand the legacy of Agnes. So that'll be at the 317 Ferry Street in Danville. It's starting at 6 p.m. It's like a 45-minute presentation. Then we want to open it up and hear from people and talk with people. So come on out if you're in Danville tonight. On Thursday, we'll be in Milton uh, in the afternoon. And there we're doing something we've never done before. It's called a pop-up museum. These are a kind of a phenomenon across the world, but instead of a typical museum exhibit where you go and you view things that are on display, for a pop-up museum, you bring things to display yourself. So we're curious what people have in the Miltonians and Milton area in their houses or basements or on display in their picture frames to bring to the public library in Milton 2 to 4 p.m. on Thursday afternoon for temporary display. You can bring it home. <laughs> We're not going to keep it. Um, and just have light refreshments and conversation. So there's no presentation. There's no formal kind of we're delivering something. We're just eager to hear from people, chat informally, and see what they have. We'll have our own uh, materials that we've collected that we'll display 
people have given us souvenirs and commemorative booklets and pictures and scrapbooks and stuff, so we'll show those. Um, so those are two big events this week. Well, fantastic. Now, you've done some work to make sure that uh, this, all this conversation helps us in the future. Kind of look at the future look at this, you know, how pre- preventing flood. I, I think we put you in charge of preventing floods, so please stick around after you graduate and help, help <laughs> us do that. But preventing floods, we certainly can mitigate them. We know that to be true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a conversation that is continuing to be had across all these river towns. Um, and there's certainly no one right answer. Um, so we're just always looking out for the best solution. Um, there's you know, many ways that uh, towns have decided over the years to protect their communities. Um, there's, you know, mitigation with the dikes and levees and putting up walls. Sunbury, you know, that's a perfect example with the We Love You Wall. Um, you know, that worked really well for them. Um, there's, like in Lewisburg at Hoofnoggle Park, um, you know, removing those structures and allowing uh, room for the limestone run, bull run, more colloquially, colloquially, <laughs> colloquially known. Colloquially known. Yeah. Well, and, and lowering floods an inch or so, right, is the theory behind this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can speak a little bit more. Yeah. Sure, and if you've yeah. ever had an inch of water on your floor, that's a key, key, key measure. Yeah, it's, it's surprising. What, if you've been to Lewisburg recently, you see that they're allowing that stream through town to meander. They're widening it out, and when the water comes through in a major flash flood event, um, just letting the water move outward in a wider channel and spread outward helps it. Um, lower actually the flood risk for the nearby property owners and landowners and residents um, and like you said an inch of water in your basement or first floor is, is devastating to carpet flooring the furniture appliances electronics so uh, that's amazing that you know returning streams or natural corridors can do that um, so yeah we're really interested as we can't prevent the rain we can't prevent actual flood events but we can reduce the risk that people face and um, like Bethany said, I really echo that. We want people to be talking about this in their communities and figuring out what's the best solution in my community and what's the best solution in our region because what we do upstream affects what we do and how we live downstream. Well, sure, this built-out community, if there's one thing I've noticed in our archives, we've probably started to keep pretty good records about the flooding here about 1973 or so, but it's really every six, seven, eight years we get another one, you know, 1996, 2001, 2011, you know, it just depends on which town you're in, which it had the most impact, but the flooding is more frequent, so it becomes uh, more common. If someone wants to see your work, whether it's Agnes Revisited or any of the other th- the research that you've done, how is that, uh, what's the public-facing portion of that look like, Bethany? Yeah, um, we have an email that you can reach out to if you have a story you'd like to share. We're always collecting stories. Um, it's agnesrevisited at gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to view Agnes Revisited, the performance Zoom performance that we recorded, um, there's a kind of a link that we can we can give you. Well, you um, can't say it over the air. I you cannot. haven't reduced it yet. <laughs> no, but it's about 20 characters long. Yeah. But can we go to, for example, andrewstool.com? Is that a way? Yeah, you can go to my website there. Um, 
wow, I'm plugging my own website on the air. But yeah, I have a, a professional website that collects some of my own research and teaching, andrewstuhl.com, S-T-U-H-L.com. And if you meander around there, explore, you can find links to Agnes Revisited. Okay. And and if I look at that or email and find out, what, what am I going to find? What am I going to hear? What, what have you uncovered during your research? Oh, my goodness. Isn't that a loaded question? <laughs> Lots of great stories. Lots of great stories. Um, some really great um, recurring themes of people's loss and pain, but also the sense of community and togetherness. Um, there's just, you know, things that we see pop up over and over again that um, we've recorded. Uh, but, uh, yeah, people just... Um, really seem to have uh, both a collective sense of their history um, and a really individual sense. And talking to these individual people um, is a really unique experience that not a lot of, um, it's a privilege that not a lot of historians are afforded. So we feel really lucky to be able to experience people's individual stories and then out of that make sense of this broader community conversation. Um, and through this, uh, you know, research that we've collected, hopefully we can um, learn from the past um, and emphasize the importance of these stories from the past to work towards a better a better future. Well, and you've worked with us to do coverage, and you've worked with the Daily Item and WBIA, yeah. and you're going on the road tonight, and so uh, and on Thursday, so folks will see that. So your work is definitely out there, and that's just uh, fantastic. One thing that I hear a, a word that's a through line through all these conversations is resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I often think of it myself in a business term, you know, a business that can survive or a business person that can survive the pandemic. But you kind of dig even more deep into it. What's resilience mean to you when you're at work, Bethany? Oh, goodness. There's many definitions of resilience. And yeah, again, it just depends on the person, the town, what um, it means for them. For me, um, yeah, like I said, learning from the past, I think, is our best source of resilience. Um, I think history is the most important ingredient for resilience. Well, there's some tough nuts around here that uh, know how to clean up after floods, and, <laughs> and they think, well, it's not that bad if you get in there while the mud's still wet. You know, it's just kind of what we do kind of thing, yeah. you know, for some folks. Resilience from the professorial Well, I mean, I think the textbook definition is, like, the capacity to bounce back after, like, a disturbance, right? And I think... Um, One thing that's really kind of been illuminated for me during these interviews and the research is locally within your community, do you know where the resources are, right? Do you know where the evacuation shelter is going to be? Do you know who is the emergency management personnel, what the guidelines are? Um, Do you know where to go if people need help? Um, Just what's the plan? Do you know the plan in your community? If you have that knowledge, uh, then you are in a really good position to be able to weather a storm and bounce back. Uh, being connected, being connected to your neighbors, just waving, talking to them on a daily basis, checking in on them, that's important in disasters and especially in the weeks after disaster. Even if you don't have the resources, even if you don't have a lot of money, if you have time, if you have the ability to give labor and help clean up, uh, those are things that are really important. So I think those are things that I didn't think of before. I thought resilience might be you know, how many properties are actually at risk? Can we map it out? Like, oh, there's 10 properties here that are near the river. That's part of it. But it's also that social connection that you have and just the knowledge of what do I do? What's the plan here? 
Well, and I think we've heard uh, folks this week or, or in the past couple of weeks where folks say, well, when the water gets to the curb on 6th Street, I do this, that, and the other thing. When it gets to the other side of the street and up on the grass, then I do this, and the, you know, the vehicles have to go there, and sort of they have a, a sort of a sequence of preparation now where in the past it was, oh my gosh, we got to move, you know, what, what's going on here? Well, we have just a moment left. I have a request that you make sure that you make all your hard work available to us somehow. I don't want to give you too much more work, but make sure there's a website or a good coffee table book or something that's got your great work in it that we can link to it and see because we have been so blessed and are so much better off for all of your your work in the past couple of years. So thank you. And an additional comment, anything to add, anything you'd like to elaborate on? Beth, we'll start with Bethany. Uh, you can purchase the daily item book uh, okay. if you want to get uh, some. And you helped with that. We helped with that, too. yeah. But um, it's a really, it's a really great piece of work. It should be available the twenty eighth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, additional comment? Anything else, Dan? No, I mean, this this week also Thursday night at nine p.m. on WBIA TV or streaming on their Facebook page, you can watch this new documentary, Agnes Fifty: Life After the Flood. We we're part of this documentary. It does go back to 72 and, and look at some historic images and relive some of the uh, actual impacts. But really the bulk of the film is what's happening now. Like what's our condition of flood risk today, flood resilience today. Sunbury's is a feature, Danville, Milton, Sealands Grove, Bloomsburg. So it's a, it's a really interesting piece. We watched a 30-minute preview over the weekend, and it's very compelling. I think listeners will find it very interesting. So that's 9 p.m. on Thursday night. Fantastic. All right. Well, we'll be watching. We'll look at that. Yeah, you see all kinds of responses. You see Sunbury's taking fabulous care of their flood control system. You see uh, Isle of Q homes that are raised up. I'm not sure what the sequence or how that, uh, you know, what the process is, but we see that it's happened. And so, yeah, lots of towns. And Milton's really changed the face of their downtown to move a lot of businesses out of harm's way. So yeah, a lot of that has happened. Well, thank you both so much for all you've done and all your work. And thanks for coming in today. Keep in touch as this goes on and and uh, we'll try to stay in touch with you too as as this work progresses thank you both thank you thank you andrew stool is a professor of environmental studies and sciences at bucknell assistant professor and department chair there and bethany fitch is a rising senior at bucknell a presidential fellow and a senior who's studying theater and environmental studies a double major